Welcome to the Food Therapy Podcast, where we talk honestly and openly about mental health, diet culture, BS, and food freedom. We're your co-hosts. I'm Brittany Modell, owner of Brittany Modell Nutrition and Wellness. And I'm Lauren Sharp, owner of Empower Method Nutrition. We are food freedom registered dietitians who have struggled with mental health, poor body image, and disordered eating behaviors. We are on a mission to dismantle diet culture, normalize conversations around mental health, and empower you as you heal your relationship with food and your body. Let's get talking. Hi, everyone. Um, Welcome to Food Therapy Podcast. Today, we are going to be discussing diet, diet culture, and our own relationship with food. So we wanted to put out a trigger warning. If this is going to be upsetting for you or something that you don't want to hear, you might want to skip this episode. We will still love you. We completely understand. But we wanted to make sure that you knew that we will be talking about some of the diets that we had gone on and our own struggles with food and our bodies. Hello, and welcome to the Food Therapy Podcast. Today, Brittany and I are going to be chatting all about our histories with food. So hopefully you guys can relate and hopefully find some peace and know that there is light at the end of the tunnel if you are struggling. So... We're just going to go right into it. Brittany, do you want to start? Let's let's sure. start let's with like, it. where did everything start with you? So I actually was trying to think about, you know, at what age did I go on my first diet or realize that I wanted to lose weight because I spent most of my childhood and adolescence on some type of diet. So I, I mean, I have this like distinct memory of me in fifth grade. I sat in front of my sister's like long mirror. And I was basically pulling on my stomach and crying. And I had such like body hatred for myself. And, you know, I remember growing up hating my body and just wanting to change it. And what I will say is it wasn't made easier by the fact that my sister is just naturally very thin. If you know my sister, if you've seen her on Missy Modell on Instagram, you'll know her body has always been very thin. And even looking back at photos of the two of us, when we were younger, our bodies looked so different. She was tall and like very lean. I was shorter. I had more fat on my body. And I could not understand why we looked so different. So like at that point, no one talked about body diversity. Nobody talked about, um, you know, people just have different body sizes. And so I spent pretty much my entire life trying to understand why my body didn't look like my sister's body or my friend's body. And it took me probably like 25 plus years to really realize like my body was just not genetically designed to look like that. And it took a long time to accept it. But that is, I think, where my earlier memories kind of fall. Um, My first memory of dieting, I would say, was in seventh grade. And so I went to Weight Watchers for the first time then with my mom, my friend and her mom. I also started seeing a nutritionist. So I was preparing for my bat mitzvah, which happens when you're 13, but you start to prepare when you're 12. And so at the time I saw this male nutritionist and he would actually make tapes, like tape recordings. I'm dating myself, like literal tape cassettes. And he would say, you know, 
encouraged me to stay on track for my bat mitzvah, like don't eat the bread basket, telling me not to eat certain foods, which looking back, I'm like, holy crap, that is so unbelievably messed up because I was 12 years old and growing. And so we wonder where eating disorders stem from. It's telling a 12-year-old to go on a diet. (laughs) So basically between the ages of 12 and 18, I went to countless dietitians, nutritionists. I have a distinct memory in middle school when a nutritionist, actually she was a dietitian who told me I had to choose between fruit toast and hash browns. I wasn't allowed to eat all of them. And I remember feeling really angry and frustrated that I was having these rules set in place. And we know, like if you're told something, it just makes you want it even more. And so I had another nutritionist who told me to drink nine glasses of green tea a day. I will preface, she was not a dietitian. And I felt really hungry and tired because she made me eat only protein for most days with no carbs. Yeah. So overall, I had a very distorted view on food, a really unhealthy relationship with food. And looking back, I'm like, the craziest part is my weight that I was when I was in seventh grade was my weight. That was the weight that I was meant to be at. That was my body's natural weight range. And had I just stayed there and not fought it, I would have avoided years of like mental and physical damage to my body. But, you know, of course we're told like your body's not good enough, your body's wrong. So I constantly tried to change it like my entire life. And I will say like, also it's not just internal, like externally, I had a lot of peers that made fun of my weight. They would tell me to go to like Mimi's maternity and buy maternity clothing and kids made fun of me at recess. And, you know, I remember my grandmother always complimenting my face, but never my body. And she always complimented my sister's body. So that like further reinforced this idea like that my body is not good and it needs to be changed. So I would say like that was like the earlier part. Again, like lots of dieting all throughout middle school and high school, hated exercise because I solely associated exercise with weight loss and micromanaging my body size. And so it developed like a poor relationship to exercise for me too, because I was moving for all the wrong reasons, right? It wasn't for mental health or sleep. It was more like, I need to change my body. So what I will say is once I got to college, I saw a nutritionist, again, not a dietitian, And at first, my goal was to lose some weight. And it always starts with, I'm going to go on this diet and, you know, make a few tweaks. But what always ends up happening is I ended up becoming obsessed. So what starts as something incredibly innocent becomes really obsessive and almost damaging. And looking back, I'm like, oh my God, I'm not going to, you know, believe I'm going to say this on the podcast, but one of the sole reasons I really, really wanted to lose weight in college was for a guy because I thought the reason he didn't like me was because of how I looked. And when I actually did lose the weight, he still didn't like me, (laughs) which was even more confusing because now I'm getting rejected on my personality and my body size. But it just goes to show you, like we've put so much focus on our appearance and I truly thought that would solve all of my issues. He would like me, we would date. And it's like, no, like he still just didn't, he just didn't like you. Like it had nothing to do with your body. I think that's such an important note too, is like body image work and healing a relationship with food. There's such a huge component to like being okay with who you are because people who are going to like you or not is not because of your body size. And if it is, then, well, they need to go to their own form of therapy. (laughs) Well, 
Of course. And also like if someone only likes you for your body size, like guess what? Bodies change. Right. And so that is not someone you want to build a life with. Like when, for all reasons, you know, as we get older, bodies change. When you have babies, bodies change. Mm -hmm. Bodies just change for, you know, no reason specifically. And so, yeah, it's, it's completely true. And that definitely opened my eyes to sort of like a broader theme. But I think, again, kind of going back to this diet or this quest to get healthy in college, it ended up becoming really obsessive. And I remember my mom picking me up from college my last day of junior year and her mouth just like dropped. And she, she's like, Brittany, like you look way too thin. And I remember being like, what are you talking about? I'm fine. I was so deep in it that I didn't even realize how much weight I lost. And we're not going to talk about numbers because it's really not important, but it's just this idea that it was never enough. So I got down to like my quote unquote go weight and I'm like, oh my God, I feel amazing. I was getting external validation left and right. So many people were complimenting me and I'm like, I need to continue this. And so it feeds and fuels this obsession. And looking back, like I truly believe that I had an undiagnosed eating disorder. I always called it disordered eating up until a few months ago because I just felt like I wasn't sick enough, quote unquote, and I didn't fit the picture of someone with an eating disorder. But I, it really impacted my life on every single level. And that is, you know, something I just, yeah, I mean, and I'm, so yeah, I, I'm talking a lot, but at the same time, like I'm trying to make sense of this story as well. Yeah, I was the same way where it's like, I'm not, I wasn't sick enough, but really it was just that like, I just had these goggles on that like, I'm the nutrition major and I'm supposed to be yes, this way. Yes, And there's like this level and tell me if you agree, and this sounds kind of terrible, but I felt like I was so much better than some of my peers. I'm like, I know what's good for me. Like, I am so healthy. I'm taking care of myself. And really, I was just giving myself an eating disorder. And so I would have weeks where I ate perfectly, quote unquote, and then I would have full out binges in the afternoons on the weekends. And I remember one specific example, I took my roommate's jar of peanut butter because I went through mine and I sat in the closet eating her peanut butter. And I can't even explain to you how much shame there was there because I'm like, not only did I take my roommate's peanut butter, but I'm eating it in secrecy in my closet on like a Saturday afternoon. Yeah. Peanut butter was such a big thing for me too. Oh my God. Yeah. I actually looked at this um, container of peanut butter in my pantry. I'm like, I've come so far. Like this has been sitting here for two weeks and I have barely made a dent in it. Peanut butter is like nothing. Like I love it still, but it's not nearly as crazy as it used to be. But what was your like thing? Was it like calorie counting? Was it obsession with like the health of food? Like what was your like biggest struggle with food? Yeah, no, that's a great question. So I would say this like idea of perfectionist eating. And so I had to eat perfectly. And if I didn't, I failed. And so again, what's, I remember it so vividly. I started off eating like a little bit less of certain foods and adding more fruits and vegetables, like all harmless behaviors. But then I ended up cutting out food groups and I ended up, you know, really under eating for what my body needed to the point that I lost my period completely for two years. 
So I think there was a little bit of orthorexia in there, like this obsession with healthy eating. So I would say that there was also a lot of body checking, a lot of weighing myself every single morning before I did anything. I would go into the bathroom, weigh myself and look in the mirror. And I remember there was one time when I thought I was being rejected by another guy, always comes back to guys. And I said, it's because of how my legs look. And my friend, my, one of my best friends, Sammy, she's like, Brittany, just look in the mirror. Like, please just see what I'm seeing. Because it was actually scaring her that I had such like a warped perception of what my body looked like. And she had me look at it. And, you know, for people who are listening to this, who've lost a lot of weight, most people like never feel like they're in that new body. They always perceive themselves in you know, the old body. And so when you spend your entire life trying to change it, even though you get down to your goal weight or like the body that you so desired, it doesn't change your perception of your body at all. Like you still have these like really negative body image thoughts. If anything, they're probably worse now. Right. It's never good enough. Yeah. And so I think the hardest part of all of this, honestly, is the fact that I was just getting so so many compliments, mm-hmm. so many compliments. And I returned to college. Everyone was like, oh my God, you look amazing. I would see friends. And so again, it was really feeding this entire eating disorder or disordered eating. And it got to the point where in terms of like how things started to change, it had to change. And so I went to my doctor and I had lost my period for quite some time. And she was really concerned about my bone health. She was concerned about my metabolism. She was concerned about my thyroid, which was really sluggish. And again, in my mind, I'm like, I don't understand. I weigh more than my sister and she's taller than me. Like, why is this happening to my body? And so it just was frustrating. I'm like, I worked so hard to get here. And I feel like now I have to regress. And so I went to my primary doctor. She worked with adolescent females mostly, many of them who've just had eating disorders just because of, you know, the age. And she said, like, I'm really concerned. And she had me write a food journal. And I remember walking in, like, so proud. I'm like, here's my food journal. Like, look how perfectly I'm eating. And she was like, where are the fun foods? Like, where are the chips and cookies? I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, I don't see anything on here that's not like a fruit or a vegetable or like something really healthy. And I remember her explaining to me how important our metabolism is and how I need to be eating consistently during the day and how I need to eat to like fuel my body and my organs. And this makes me really sad, but I remember her saying to me, like, I'm genuinely concerned for your ability to conceive in the future. And at that point, like, I was so sick. I'm like, I don't even care because the thought of waking, honestly, was so much more important to me in that moment than anything else, including my health. And so looking back, I'm like, fuck, like I was, excuse me for my language, but I'm like, I, I was like so sick. And so little by little, started to add more food in, started to become slightly less restrictive. And then the opposite happened. As I started to increase food into my diet, I then became a binger and I started to binge on foods and I no longer craved the healthy foods. And I was flipped out. I'm like, oh my God, I used to crave salmon every day and kale, like what's happening? And at that point I started to put weight on, I got mono 
way too tired to exercise. And I found myself completely regaining all the weight that I had lost. At this point, I was a nutrition student. I felt like the biggest failure. And I also felt like a fraud. I'm like, I'm training to be a dietitian and I can't even figure out food for myself. Like this is embarrassing. And so I tried to micromanage my calories again using calorie tracking apps, went to different nutritionists, went to the old nutritionist who initially helped me lose weight. And I, you know, at some point I'm like, this just isn't working. It's just not working. And I remember reading some intuitive eating dietitian or anti-diet at that point on Instagram. And I was like, I don't get this at all. Like this is, this is not healthy. I, I just don't understand. So I started to unfollow them like throughout my disordered eating. I bought the intuitive eating book. I read a chapter and put it down. I'm like, no. So over time, as I was working through my relationship with food, I started to under like do intuitive eating, but like not related to the book. Like I just started to eat more intuitively and started to give myself permission to eat more foods, to add more foods. And I have, again, like my relationship with my body was really poor. I remember looking at my body with disgust being like, how the hell did I come back here? I promised myself that I would never feel like this again. And I feel terrible about myself. And so, you know, I'm trying to think like, was there an aha moment for me to get intuitive eating? I don't think there was. I I really don't. I think several things happened for me. One, I started dating someone who had a healthy relationship with food and he and I like loved going out to eat. At that point, I was giving myself permission to eat them. I was still mentally restricting and still putting shaming guilt. But that was like the first step to me at least trying different foods. And I also think you know, honestly, following people in this space like really helped me. I started to refollow people on Instagram. I reread the book of intuitive eating, or I should say read it. And I definitely went through a period of pseudo dieting where I was pretending to not restrict, but I was actually restricting. I was straddling the fence, even the way that I was working with clients. Like it didn't really feel authentic to do weight loss, but I was like, oh, like I'll help you manage your portions. And, and so over time, I'm like, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to really take control of my relationship to food. I don't want to be 70 and 80 years old and worried that I ate a cookie at lunch. Like I really just need to get this in order. And I did. And so like, is everything perfect? And I never think about food and I never think about my body. Like, no, like this weekend, actually, I had a really tough time with my body image. I don't know why. I don't know what sparked it, but... I, you know, I talked to myself like I would to my clients and it didn't control my evening. I sort of said this sucks and I moved through it and I'm fine. And so, yeah, it's, that's like a really condensed, like 31 years of a relationship to food. But I just want you to know it's, it's still really normal, even someone who's on the other side of this journey to feel stressed or to feel not fully at peace. I will say that I definitely have the healthiest relationship that I have ever had with food. I truly don't feel shame at all. I don't have guilt. I feel very connected to my body. And I also know what feels good for my body. And I think that took a really long time to get there. And so the craziest part of this whole journey is now I'm actually craving foods that I once forced myself to have because they were quote unquote healthy and I'm having them because I genuinely want them. I like how they make me feel, but I also have a plate of fries and cake and 
a burger and all those things. And I don't think twice. So I hope that like made sense because it was a lot at once. Totally. It's so hard to sum everything up. I think it's so funny that like when we first met, I'll never forget the first day we met at my dietetic internship. For those of you who don't know, Brittany was my preceptor. (laughs) 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 And I remember you like showing me your website and we were both kind of just like, And I was telling you about my Instagram and I was like, I like, I don't know, I'm not fully intuitive eating like, but you know, I, I believe that all foods should be in our diet, but I'm not fully there. And like, you were kind of like me too. And like, and now here we are like all in it. It's just so funny because sometimes it really does take time to, first of all, understand the concept because when I real, like the point where I actually fully dove into intuitive eating was when I realized, oh, okay, this isn't like eat whatever you want, whenever you want. Although it is, it's like, there's such a bigger, like nutrition is still such a huge component. And I think that's such a myth and misconception is that people think like, oh, I'm just going to be eating bagels and cookies and cake. That's what I thought. Yeah, I I did. I think there's a lot more nuance than Instagram could even ever allow someone to have. You can't fully understand the concepts just looking at an Instagram infographic or looking at a dietitian having a donut. And so just going back to meeting you, what I think is so funny is I was like, hey, like I have my own private practice on the side. Like I'm more than happy to help you with your Instagram if you have questions. And then I followed Lauren and she had like 15,000 followers at the time. I was like, okay, actually, can you help me with my Instagram? I'm like, because apparently you don't need any help. But yeah, I do remember like still both kind of like straddling. Yeah. Um, I, I also think it's one of those things, like once you learn what we have learned, you cannot unlearn it. Right. And so, you know, I, with myself, I've seen this, like diets just truly don't work. And when you understand the science behind why they don't work and what restriction does to the human brain and the mind and, you know, craving signals and all of that. It's like, this makes complete sense. Like, why has no one talked about this? Yeah. And Um, when you actually see the science, because I feel like a lot of it, there's just not enough awareness around it because there is like all these starvation studies and things like that. Like, this is real stuff. This isn't like some made up theory. Right, right. There's actually science backing it. A hundred percent. And even going back to, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, there are so many incredible resources out, not just the intuitive eating book, which I absolutely recommend people to read, but there are so many incredible books that really can speak to the science, like the health at every size book by Linda Bacon and anti-diet by Christy Harrison. And, um, there are just so many wonderful resources that weren't available to us when we were in school. Like I learned a very weight-centric approach, which is why I felt pretty crappy about myself when I'm like, why can't I get this figured out? And I think that there is an added layer to the dietetics field to be healthy, to look a certain part. And I think that pressure is very strong. I also think that a lot of people come into this field because they have battled with their own negative relationship to food. So whether it was an eating disorder, disordered eating, orthorexia, whatever it is, I mean, at least a lot of people that I know, like they literally came into this field because they were trying to figure it out themselves. Right. Exactly. And that's kind of where, how I got into nutrition. Yeah. So I want to hear... Take me back. Like, do you remember the first time you thought about your weight, your body, or like a diet? 
Yeah. So like the first time I remember versus the first time that I have documented. So it's funny. I think I was talking about this on another episode, but how my mom found one of my journals from when I was like really little, but like one of those like journals that like has prompts for like little kids. And I think it was like a Junie B book or something like that. And there was one question that literally said, what is your biggest fear? And I literally wrote down my biggest fear was getting fat. Oh my God. At the age, it had to have been, I mean, my handwriting was horrendous. It had to have been third grade or belower or belower or lower or below. (laughs) And you have to think about like where that was even learned, right? Right. It's like, and why we consider that to be a bad or negative thing. Exactly. And that's the (laughs) craziest part is that like, I was never, like a lot of people say like, their relationship with their family or their moms, like a lot of times will trigger it. And that was just never the case in my house. Like food was just, we just ate. Like there was never really, I mean, occasionally my mom would say like, oh yeah, you know, you want to look at ingredients or whatever, but it was never, it was never a topic of conversation. So I really do wonder where I learned that from. Uh, But it does also show you all of the different ways that diet culture is ingrained in us other than just from like moms or relationships, like even just down to like the size of what a Barbie doll looks like. Mm. It's crazy. Or what I hear a lot too from clients that I work with is if you're watching television and whether it's a cartoon or a sitcom, the body sizes are all very much the same. Yep. And if someone is in a larger body, Mm -hmm. the storyline is always about their body. It's never just they're a normal character. And so, yeah, it's literally ingrained in, in books, in pop culture, in media, everything. Yeah. Yeah. And like the popular girls are always, always look a certain way or the geek, right? Always looks a certain way. And it's the stereotypes. Yeah. yeah. So that was my first like actual documented memory. My first actual memory is when we went to Montauk every summer and usually we would get our Christmas card photo out there. And my mom took a picture of me with like my boogie board and my bathing suit. And I just remember looking at it and hating it. And I must've, I don't think I was even, I was maybe fourth or fifth grade. And I was like, why are my hips so big? And it's just crazy, like, perspective-wise. If I looked at that picture now, I'd be like, oh, my gosh. Like, right. why was I even concerned? And also, like, compared to who? Right. Exactly. And I think, I don't know, I guess maybe, like, the other kids that we went on vacation with, like, I had bigger hips than them or whatever it was. But that was, like, my actual first memory. And then, honestly... I think I struggled in terms of just like how any other girl struggles in middle school or high school in terms of like, you know, wanting to be the prettiest or the best looking or whatever. But like body image wasn't a huge concern for me that I can like specifically remember. Uh, You know, it was always like, do, you know, let's do abs before we like take bathing suit pictures and whatever. And it was just kind of the culture of teenagers, unfortunately, but it was never like all consuming as much as it got to be. And it's really interesting thinking back on it because I wish I had like literal footage of like what we actually would say and stuff. But honestly, it's kind of funny. Like my biggest concern when I was in like high school wasn't my body, it was my dark under eye circles. 
they really literally consumed me. Like I remember going to my mom all the time being like, I need a better concealer. Like that was the reason that I started wearing makeup because my under eye circles, I hated like, and I fixated on them, which is so interesting. That's also like part of genetics too, right? right? Just like your body size is genetically driven. Right. So are the under, like the dark circles under your eyes. Yeah. So I fixated on that, but I think that was like one of the first things I fixated on. Also, it's just interesting, like perfectionism tendencies. I remember before I could like put my hair in a ponytail, I remember my mom putting it up and I would get so frustrated if there was like flyaways. I was so... Like I wanted to, like I made her get gel for me and I like feel so bad now because I'm like, oh my gosh, I might have driven this woman freaking crazy because I was, I was insane over the flyaways on my ponytail. Meanwhile, like look at me now, I'm like, whatever. Uh, (laughs) Like I needed it to be perfect. So that's just really interesting because it kind of plays into like my perfectionism later on in this story. But so yeah, I was always an athlete. I played lacrosse. I played uh, field hockey. And in the off season, I was always at the gym. So, um, and never really for the purpose of like feeling good. That, that's like a, that was a foreign concept to me. Like it was always for the concept of obviously staying in shape for um, sports and for, to look a certain way. So, um, and by the way, I also think growing up, no one really talks to us about the health benefits of right. exercise. Right. It Like we either hear it from gym class, which doesn't really talk about like the mental health benefits and sleep and all right. that, or you hear it from, you know, Cosmo Magazine or Teen Vogue, which is mostly about like how to score abs and right. for which aesthetics. Is- and it's usually when you hear it in like if you had a health class or a gym class, it's so far removed at that age because it's like, oh, improve your cardiovascular health. And you're like a 15-year-old. You're like, what the <laughs> hell? I don't even care Correct. about that. Like, you know, so it's just so far removed and like hard to understand. Whereas like the mental health aspect is obviously the biggest part for me. So I was always active, essentially. Never fully fixated on my body. It was never like a huge concern uh, that I fully remember. And... Uh, I remember going on birth control and I started to gain weight and uh, classic gyno being like, nobody gains weight on this. Like, I don't know why everybody's so worried about it. Like, you're not going to gain weight. You'll be fine, blah, 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 whatever. Uh, And I gained weight and I remember we went to, wow, so much Montauk in my history. We went to Montauk (laughs) for one of my birthdays. uh, I brought a bunch of my friends and uh, I remember like being on the beach and being teenagers, we wanted to take cool Instagram photos. I think Instagram had like just come out, which is crazy. Uh, Actually, I don't even know if, yeah, I think it had just come out. And I just remember not wanting to take my, I got this really cute flannel shirt from LF, TBT. Um, And I was like, I'm just going to wear this on the beach all day because I was just so uncomfortable with the weight that I gained. And that was the first time I actually had to like, think about it because before I was just always active. I I never thought about nutrition. I was literally, I would come home from lacrosse practice and eat a sleeve of Oreos because that's just what I wanted. And I didn't think twice about nutrition. And I also was always like one-sided in the fact that like, I thought like the shape of your body was solely based on exercise. I like didn't understand that nutrition was a thing nor genetics. I was going to say like, or (laughs) genetics too. So 
I was just like, I didn't, under, I just thought, oh, like exercise harder. Right. Um, so then I started to do like my own research and I'm like, okay, well, what's this whole like nutrition thing? Like I remember being in the gym and like the loudspeaker being like 80% nutrition, 20% exercise. And I was like, oh Wait, my Wait, they said that in the gym? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So then I'm like trying to figure this all out and I couldn't, I couldn't figure out anything. I was like, I don't understand. Am I supposed to eat carbs? Am I not allowed to have fat? Am I not allowed to have sugar? Am I allowed to have sugar? Like what is going on here? Right. And that was kind of the moment where I was like, I'm going to go to school for this because I'm a very, uh, I love science and I love understanding the why behind things. Like it's very Mm -hmm. difficult for me to understand things without fully knowing everything at the root. Yes. So I was like, I want to learn like the actual science behind this so that I can like know the truth about nutrition. And to an extent, I wanted to essentially just like have all the knowledge in nutrition and give everybody the answers and, mm-hmm. and be the expert. Right. Uh, but also like for my own self so that I like had all the answers for myself to control, to control essentially. Right. Uh, and, and then, it is a great controller. Yes, exactly. Food. And so going to school, I uh, definitely didn't, I didn't fully understand nutrition, honestly, which is so crazy to, to think about now uh, because it's so hard, like you were saying about intuitive eating, like it's so hard to unlearn things and to kind of put yourself in someone else's shoes who hasn't had the education that we've had. Right. Uh, so even when I'm on Instagram and stuff, I'm like, is this like going over their heads or is this like basic stuff? Like I don't even know anymore because to me it's just second nature at this point. But uh, yeah, so I got to school and I was, you know, classic dining hall food. I wasn't really bothered by it. I was just like, I'm a nutrition major. I don't really care what I eat. I was like, I'm having the chicken parm. I'm having whatever I want. Uh, But there was definitely like comments from other people like just in college that were like oh you know like is you think that's healthy like aren't you a nutrition major like right. like that's not healthy and whatnot like I remember when actually this was still in high school I think or maybe I was on home from I was home from for break but uh I was having lasagna and I was like well I'm being healthy and one of my friends was like wait, you think lasagna is healthy? And it's just so funny because that's literally how I grew up. My mom's like, this is a homemade meal. Like, this is great for you, you know, like, which is a great way. But like the, my peers and people around me were influencing this other decision, which is wild. Right. Right. So, and again, it goes back to like the additional pressure of like, wait, you're the dietetic student. You're the dietitian. Like, why are you eating that? As if like, you know, we're meant to eat these quote unquote perfect diets. And it's so interesting because a lot of the times people are just kind of like voicing their opinion where they're like, wait, like they're almost curious themselves. Wait, like you're the nutrition major. That's healthy. I can have that. And then it may like, it's not like they were trying to be detrimental and be like, oh, you're eating that kind of thing. But it come, it came off that way, especially to me. who's like a highly sensitive person. Um, and I took it to heart and I'm like, oh shit. Okay. I guess I have to create a better image for myself. Right. Um, in terms of like being the nutrition major. So 
uh, through all of my anxiety and everything, um, I actually started to work at um, Lululemon my freshman year when I went home for my like long two-month break from school. And I loved it. It was amazing because obviously I loved the clothes and it was so nice to have just like a health community because I was so into health in general in a perfectly healthy way at this point. And eventually I just, I slowly became obsessed with, you know, the culture. We, we did a lot of workouts together and I loved it. But at the same time, uh, I remember working one day and, uh, one of my coworkers being like, uh, like he was working with someone and the woman was like, oh, I'm shopping for someone. She's really tiny. And he pointed to me and he was like, oh, like her size. And for me, that was so validating that like he had been like, oh, like her, like tiny, like her. And it was like so validating to hear that. Right. So, so validating because I'm like, oh, like other people think I look small. Okay. That's amazing. Even though I didn't think I looked small at all. So that was part of- And I'm sure that like fueled it even more for you too. Exactly. And then on top of it all, I'm having all this anxiety, right, from uh, our previous episode. If you guys haven't listened to it, it's a good one, so definitely listen. But I had so much anxiety, and I I needed something to control the chaos, whether it was, like, controlling my food, controlling my body, but also the health aspect where I was like, oh, I'm going to lower my sugar, and I'm going to eat super, quote-unquote, clean, and that's going to heal my anxiety, because of all of the messaging out there that it's like, oh, just don't have sugar and your anxiety is going to be healed. Just eat these calming foods and your anxiety is going to be healed. And that was so crazy to me because I was like, wow, like food really is medicine. And that's kind of why I got into nutrition because I was so interested in that. And like, yes, to an extent it can be, but there's so many factors in our health. And like for it to be overgeneralized that food is medicine, like food is not unfortunately, like it's, it's not Zoloft. It's not going to cure your anxiety. It's not like doing anything extravagant. Yes, it can make you feel good and it can, it can do minor things, but it's just, it's, there's such a gray area with like food being medicine. And there are definitely limitations to that. And I think Again, it feeds into this whole wellness community. Like you can heal everything by what you eat. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even using buzzwords such as like, what what do they usually say? Superfoods. And it gives it a lot more power than it actually is has. Yes. And it's hard because I know that there'll be people being like, well, I healed this and with with food and whatever. But also just like with weight stigma, like if research studies are done on that kind of stuff, well, uh, you know, were they exercising more? Were they improving their mental health? Was it just the food? Uh, And like not to knock food, like food is amazing. It fuels us. There are definitely amazing properties in there's more nourishing foods and there's less nourishing foods, but that doesn't mean that they're good or bad. Uh, but anyway, I digress. So then my anxiety and I was like, all right, let's cut out sugar. Let's do all these things. And, uh, so I always say it it originally started because I was trying to control anxiety, but when I talk through it, I'm kind of like, but at the same time, it was about my body too. So, uh, 
through freshman year. Uh, and then I also started a workout program, um, the Kayla It Seems workout yep, program. Did that one as well. Yep. And I also and had this. Go ahead. I was going to say that in itself is so harmful, the before and afters, which yes. is, yeah. Sorry, and I interrupted. And my but. perfectionism and type A mind, having a specific workout on specific days, I would not lo- let myself go off of that. So on Monday, I had to do this. On Tuesday, I had to do this. I had to eat this, right? And it was a sense of control. And it's so interesting how different personalities can do that and it doesn't bother them. Whereas for me, it was so obsessive that if I went off plan, it stressed me the F out. So I started that workout plan and uh, it just became really obsessive for me. And I uh, went home for the summer. I uh, was working out a lot and just, you know, I came home and was, you know, trying to help my family, quote unquote, get healthy. And we would have zoodles instead of pasta. And like my family didn't realize either because it was just like, again, I'm the nutrition major and like, I'm just helping you guys eat more vegetables, right? Right. It was just, everybody saw it as a positive thing. And it, it was just so masked. Like it's so difficult to pinpoint that there was actually a problem. And I can spot like disordered eating in a second now. But it's so funny because like, obviously my mom's never been trained. My dad's never been trained in any of this. Like they had no idea. They, there was never, especially then. Um, and especially when they were growing up, like obviously eating disorders were a thing, but really people just thought you had to be emaciated to be, to have an eating disorder. And so I went back to school for, my sophomore year. And I never really, I was never really a calorie counting thing. It was more so like a health thing. Right. So I'm like, oh, I had a very clear depiction of what I thought health was. And that was working out really hard and eating perfectly, eating perfectly. So I was obviously predisposed in the terms of having perfectionism tendencies, type A tendencies, anxiety, but also I think what played into it is my mindset that I had developed from being an athlete in high school because it was a very hardcore mindset, right? Like you grind, I don't care if you're tired, you keep going and we're going to win this or whatever it was, right? Like, if you don't do X, Y, Z, if you don't score the goal, if you don't do this, like, you're running hills today. Like, it was, there was no giving yourself grace, right? It's you push through and that's that. And I think that definitely played into my relationship with exercise because it was like, if I wasn't feeling up to it, it was like, uh, yeah, I have a cold. I'm still doing my workout. I have to push through it. This is the grind. Like to get what I want, I have to do this. Right. So that played a huge role as well. And to an extent that mindset helps me in life, but also in other ways it can be harmful. So, uh, yeah. And I will never forget my breaking point when I was spending way too much time trying to make bread out of cauliflower, Fucking cauliflower. (laughs) Like, 
Honestly, who does the PR for cauliflower is what I, I want to know. No, but I need them. Like, it's really insane. I don't understand. Every, what haven't they used cauliflower to make? I've seen bagels, bread, cookies, cakes, obviously rice, pasta, everything. And what's really funny is it's such a marketing thing. Like a lot of the times when you actually look in the ingredients, like it's like the last ingredient. Like cauliflower pizza. Yeah. Like they literally like just have some cauliflower on the side if you really want cauliflower. Right. And the unfortunate thing is like cauliflower is great, but to replace every single carbohydrate with cauliflower is just doing cauliflower disservice. Insane. So I was trying really hard to make this bread out of freaking cauliflower. And I just remember sitting there and getting an overwhelming feeling of like fear and panic. And I had no idea what was going on because my anxiety was like, relatively decent at this time. And I was like pretty happy. It was just my breaking point. And this was also in October, you know, with Halloween coming up, that was the month that I decided to not eat sugar. So I was like, oh, I'm just not going to eat sugar this month. That'll be perfect with Halloween coming. I'll I'll avoid the candy because I have this rule, right? Right. And it was really, really consuming me because – Not only because, oh, I'm not eating sugar, but because I wouldn't let myself digress because of the perfectionism. So if I went any, if I had anything with more than X amount of grams of sugar, I failed and I didn't like to fail and I wanted to do everything perfectly. So that was the month that I did that while I was making this cauliflower bread and I just broke down. I called my mom and I was like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm just upset. I'm just sad. I I just, I'm overwhelmed. Like, I don't know. I don't like to be alone. So that was another part of like the anxiety piece. And I was terrified of just like being alone with my thoughts. And that was actually why I started cooking the cauliflower bread because I was alone at that time. And I was like, how can I consume my time? Oh, of course, with like trying to bake this ridiculous bread. And she obviously just like talked me down as my mom does. But then she very lovingly was like, do you think it's just because of this? Like, do you feel like this, like cutting out sugar is a little much for you? Like, is it overwhelming? And I was like, yeah, 100%. Like, I didn't even realize it. She was like, Until she said it. Yeah. And honestly, I'm grateful, but I didn't have, I mean, obviously it was difficult, but I didn't think twice after that because the feeling of anxiety that I was apparently trying to help by cutting out sugar was really making things so much worse. So I had a hard time, obviously, incorporating, reincorporating foods and still having that guilt and stuff. But I did not care because the feeling that it was giving me to restrict was not worth it to me. Yeah. I mean, that's so powerful too. And I I would say like, I had a similar situation with that as well. When I, every time I cut out carbs or limited the amount of carbs I was eating, it made my anxiety so much worse because mm-hmm. then my blood sugars would drop right. and the feeling of hypoglycemia would actually yeah. create more panic and more anxiety. Right. And it was not to bring up this nutritionist, but somebody that I had worked with, well, I'm going to bring her up, but I'm not going to say her name. <laughs> somebody that I had worked with. And this is when you know, like you need to find a, a, a provider who really understands you and doesn't just see it for one piece, sees you for everything, including mental health. Right. I made it very clear that my mental health was failing. It was struggling and I needed carbs. 
And yet she still made it about my weight. Mm. And that was one of the take-homes for me. I'm like, I don't want to do this to somebody else. Yeah. I don't want to make someone feel like they failed because they decided to have bread at dinner. Like this is, that's not healthy. Like that's not healthy. Right. And so just, yeah, going back to what you were saying, like not having sugar and not having carbohydrates in your diet is actually going to probably create more panic, more anxiety, more, you know, preoccupation with food in general. Exactly. Exactly. So that was my breaking point. And I wish I remembered the time better, but I know that I just, I, I cut the restriction out and it wasn't that easy, but, uh, I definitely started to backfire a little bit and it was always with this specific almond butter that I, from Trader Joe's, It's so freaking good. I don't know why it's better than any other almond butter. At least I thought it was at the time. And I remember like literally obsessing over it, whether it was because my body was just like needing calories and it Mm. knew that like uh, something like almond butter. And a high fat calorie too. Yeah. In a good way. (laughs) Right, right. I just could not, I craved it like crazy. I, and it's interesting because I don't really remember it being something I restricted, but it very well could have been. But I would even if I didn't have it, I would go across to my friends at the time that always had it and like ask if I could have some like. Right. And I always felt bad asking, but like I it was insane, like I needed it. So it kind of backfired with the binging. I I wouldn't say I had as much binging as I would have expected I would have had with all the restriction, but that was definitely a big thing for me. Um, and definitely feeling out of control, you know, at nighttime because I hadn't eaten enough throughout the day or because I wasn't allowing my, oh gosh, do you remember Arctic? Well, I don't know if we should say brands, Arctic Zero, whatever. Yeah. Arctic (laughs) Zero. Okay. Yeah. I never had it, but yeah, I'm familiar. Yeah. Uh, I just remember like trying to convince myself that I loved it and it was just not good at all. Um, Something that I actually forgot to mention that was such a large part, and I'm curious if you felt the same way, was how my relationship to food so poorly affected my relationship to other people, including friends. Yeah. And so I remember when I, and I can't believe I forgot this because it's, it's stained in my memory. But when I would return home from school and I would, I would have to be the one to choose a restaurant. Mm. Nobody else could choose a restaurant because I had to look at the menu first to make yep. sure that everything on that menu or at least one thing was steamed or grilled and I could have it. Yep. And so even the ability to just say to a friend, oh, you can choose. Yeah. I'll, I'm down for whatever is so freaking freeing yeah. that it's like, yeah, like just choose whatever you want. Yeah. I don't know why that just came to me, but. No, it's so true. And it's funny because I saw this TikTok the other day that was like, wait, there's actually people that don't look at the menu before they go to the restaurant. <laughs> and I thought it was so funny because it's actually like, I still 100% do, but it's from such a different place. Like when I used to right. look at the menu before I went to the restaurant, it was because I was like, is there something that I can eat that's going to be right. healthy that's enough? Safe. Yeah. Right. And then now it's like out of excitement because I'm like, oh my gosh, what am I going to get? This all looks amazing. Right. So, right. And that mindset shift is everything. Everything. So freeing. It's, it's crazy because honestly, I don't need to go out to eat to spend money on things that I'm not going to fully enjoy. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think just like finding 
And I know people use like food freedom like so often and it kind of like dilutes what the actual meaning is. But, and I'm curious, like what you find, like, tell me what, when you say like food freedom, like what does that mean to you? Yeah. Well, it's interesting because yeah, there's definitely people who will use it in like weight loss and stuff. But (laughs) for me, I think it's, it's just like not thinking about food all the time. Yeah. And just like being able to eat. Like I think about food so much less. I'm like, how am I going to fuel today? All right. Well, I'm probably not going to feel very good if all I have is a piece of toast. Like I need to have a protein. I need to have a carb. Like, so I think about it in the moment because I'm like, okay, what can I add to this? That's like going to keep me fueled, going to keep my blood sugar stable, going to make me feel good, but not restrict. And to be able to go out to dinner and choose whatever I want, to be able to go out to dinner on vacation four nights in a row and not worry like, oh my gosh, I just totally effed everything up, right? And a lot of times I like don't like going out to dinner that many nights in a row just because I like, I just, sometimes I just want a piece of freaking toast with peanut butter. Like, right. I'm not a huge, I'm a very like snacky eater. So I, sometimes I just want like a snack plate for dinner. Um, so yeah, being able to do that, not having to micromanage like how, when other people are cooking for you is a huge thing. Like I just remember like always asking my mom, like, Oh, did you put oil in this? Did you use oil? Did you use butter? Like, you know, all of those different rules that I had in my head and to not have to micromanage it and just like be peaceful and not, honestly, I was quite annoying. Like to not have to be that way is so freeing. Going back to allowing other people to cook for you, I remember my friend who's an amazing cook and she wanted to, I forgot what piece of meat it was, but I was like Googling the calories in the kitchen as she was serving me the food because I started really concerned. I was just so worried that like what she was going to give me. And I remember weighing myself the next morning being like, okay, like nothing changed. Mm. But it's just, yeah, I mean... Going off, I agree with everything you were saying about, you know, what food freedom means to you. For me, it just really means being present, means not so consumed by what I ate for breakfast this morning or what I'm having for dinner tonight. It really just allows me to be present. And that includes when I'm out for dinner with people and I'm not thinking about food the entire time. I can actually enjoy and, you know, eat whatever people want to order. And I... I have an opinion when it comes to food because I genuinely love food, but I'm also totally fine being in a group setting. And if everyone's ordering, there will be things that I love and being able to try. And what you were saying too, just not thinking about it as much. It's, I remember when I was in the thick of my disordered eating that I would write down what I was having for breakfast, lunch, and dinner every single day. I would food journal every single day. I would fall asleep thinking about what I ate that day. That was the way I would put myself to sleep. It was always on my mind. Literally, if you looked, you know, when I was in school, I would just have like pieces of paper with everything that I was eating that week on the sheet of paper. So to think about how much time, or I should say how much space I freed up now that I don't think about it, it is incredible to me. Insane. I was the same way. I actually, fun fact, that's why I started my Instagram. So I used to write down every single thing that I ate and it was really just like for me to validate myself, like, okay, I did good today. Right. Like, 
or to prove to myself, like, okay, what did I do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday? Okay, so, like, Friday, am I allowed to have this because I was good right. all week or whatever it was? Right. I, I needed to, like, prove it to myself. And I really wanted to stop. I, I couldn't do it anymore. I couldn't keep track of what I was eating anymore. Like you said, I was going to bed thinking about food. I woke up starving, woke up thinking about my breakfast, went to bed thinking about my breakfast. Like, obviously, this is generalizing, but a lot of times, if you're going to bed thinking about breakfast, chances are you're under eating. And if, you're, if you're thinking about food constantly, yeah. chances are you are not giving your body enough right. nourishment. Exactly. And I would wake up and be starving and so excited for my breakfast. I mean, granted, I'm still excited for breakfast because I love to eat. But, like, it's it's a different feeling. And uh, I started my Instagram because I was like, I need to stop writing my food down. So I was like, okay, let's take baby steps. Let's just do pictures. And my Instagram ended up being, like, such a creative outlet for me. So I started having, like toast with peanut butter and berries because it looked pretty in my pictures. And uh, slowly but surely, it helped. It definitely helped me. Um, And then now it turned into a completely different platform than it it used to be. (laughs) But here we are. And now you're inspiring others. I think it's also interesting how different Instagram can make us feel. And that could honestly be a whole other episode. But I have unfollowed every diet culture type account, any account that didn't make me feel good or made me feel guilty. And I unfollow them. And when friends will send me posts about things, I'm like, I forgot this even exists because I'm so, you know, I feel like I'm so far away from all this type of content since everyone I follow is, you know, anti-diet culture and body positive and all that. But I love that you were able to use your Instagram platform as a way to heal and as a way to experiment with foods that you might not have experimented with before. Yeah, exactly. Which is crazy. Well, I feel like this conversation will be ongoing. And, you know, we really wanted to set the scene for you guys to show like we're human and we've been through it and we have come out on the other side. And it's not like you know, the struggle is never there and you're completely free, but we know how to deal with these issues now. And we, and we want to help you guys also be able to heal your relationship with food so you can go out and dine with friends and with your partner and travel and really live life to the fullest. So we hope that, you know, you enjoy this and you got something out of it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Food Therapy. If you enjoyed what you heard and want to support our podcast, please subscribe, hit download, and share it with your community. We value your feedback. If you feel inspired, please leave a review. Let us know what you've learned and what you would like to hear next. All information about this episode will be linked in our show notes. New episodes of Food Therapy come out every Sunday, but you can stay connected with Food Therapy all week long by following us on Instagram at foodtherapypod. As a disclaimer, this podcast should not replace therapy or working with a registered dietitian. Thank you again, and we'll see you next week.